Acts chapter 26, please. Acts chapter 26. As you can see, this is our first morning of our new... Uh, it's not really a pulpit. It's a lectern, I suppose. And we've got a light for it yet. And wires to get sorted and plugs. But we're, we're getting there. We are getting there. Bless the Lord. Acts chapter 26. Let's lift one verse. And I want you to keep your Bible open because we want to refer to this. Acts 26 and verse 8. The Apostle Paul asks the question, Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Let's read it again. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Let's pray. Father, we ask you now to inscribe every word of yours in every heart that's here to imprint it upon every mind. We pray, Lord, that there's be none will leave this place this morning without receiving of your word and receiving something that you would give to them or say to them. Glorify your name and glorify your son. We love him. We worship him. He's central in all that we are and all that we do. And through him, it's all that we have. So thank you, Lord, for everything. Glorify your name and glorify thine own son, we pray. And Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. For Jesus' name's sake, I ask it. Amen. The Apostle Paul asked the question to King Agrippa II. King Agrippa II is there with his sister. Some said they had an incestuous relationship. And some said it wasn't, it's debatable, but nevertheless, uh, he's before King Agrippa II, and his sister's called Bernice. Uh, Paul finds himself, after being with uh, a couple of other um, governors, if you want, and leaders of the, of, at the time, first of all, he's with Felix, turn to Acts chapter 24. He's with Felix, and in Acts chapter 24, standing before Felix, he was the he was a governor, then you'll read of Festus. Festus takes over after Felix. So then he's brought to Festus as well. But look what it says in, in Acts chapter 24. And let your eye run down to verse 20. He says, Or else let these same here say, if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council. Here he's speaking of the Jews who had arrested him. Uh, for speaking in the synagogues of the resurrection of Christ. Notice what he says here. Except, if I've done anything against you, if I've done anything contrary to God's law, he says, except, he says, you can point nothing to me except it be for this one voice. That I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead. I am called in question by you this day. And Felix heard these things, having a more perfect knowledge of this, of the way, of that way. He deferred them and said, when the says, the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. In other words, he says, when this captain comes, I'll hear more about your story, Paul. Paul says, there's nothing I have done wrong, but the Jews have accused me only of speaking of the resurrection of the dead. Now, why would I pick, pick that verse and point this out? The resurrection of the dead speaks of the power of Christ. 
The resurrection of the dead shows a living king. And in these times, uh, the Caesars were known as kings, God of the earth, and so on. And so to proclaim Christ as king was to denounce Caesar. So now they're starting to go toward Rome. They're starting to go toward Felix and Festus and the governors. And they're saying, now, look at this man. Because this man is saying that the Caesar isn't king, but Christ is king. But Christ isn't dead. You see, Christ is living. He's risen. He's alive. And because of this, Paul is saying, I preach this living Savior. That's my crime. He was a passion about him. He had a passion about his walk. He had a passion about Christ. And he says, I preach the living Christ. I preach the resurrected Savior. He says, and because of this, you have me here. Notice what it says then, if we go on down just a few verses. And it's just for time's sake. It says in verse 23, Paul speaking to them says, And he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Phoenix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. This man, Phoenix, started to tremble. Why? Because of the gospel, of the power of the resurrection of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, Christ is living, Christ is alive. He's not on a cross, he's not in a tomb. He's living, he's exalted, he's on high, he's ascended into glory. And he's saying, listen, there's a judgment to come. He says, Felix, you better be ready. You better be right with God because Christ is coming again. It's not only ascension into heaven, it's not only exaltation of Christ. He says, but there's a coming again and you must be ready, you must be right. It says Felix trembles. The idea here is not that he gets a little uh, nervous shake in his top lip, but his knees start to shake. He starts to get a real trembling throughout him. His heart is racing. He's probably perspiring with us by now. And he says, I'll hear of you when of a more convenient season. Now is not the time to preach the gospel. Now is not the time to preach of repentance. Now is not the time to preach these things. Now is not the time to preach of a coming of Christ. Now is not the time to preach of a judgment to come. He says, I'll listen to that some other time. Don't tell me these things and don't preach them to me. So then we read later in Acts 25, if you'll turn to it, Felix now, he's waiting for Festus to come. And Festus takes over Felix two years later. Listen, Paul's in prison too. Paul's waiting for a trial. You talk about internment? Paul is waiting on a trial two years. Acts chapter 26, and notice what it says here. Sorry, 25, pardon me, pardon me. Now Festus was come to the province after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Jerusalem sat on a hill. So that means he's gone up into Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of, chief of the Jews informed him against Paul. <laughs> he brought him to Paul. Here's something for you to... Here's something I learned. I was in another country as a missionary, and let's go into it too much. 
And someone was coming in to see Alison and I, to see what was going on, for they heard there was a bit of trouble. And this guy who was from the country went to pick up this other pastor from the airport and brought him to his own house to tell his side, to tell all he wanted, which was corrupt and which was wrong. To try and twist things to make this pastor have uh, a lopsided thinking on Alison and I and the work we were doing. That whenever he came the next day, he would have a, a point of view that would be all automatically turned against us. Just be aware of people like that. Who prime you before you go to others. And I was so glad that this pastor came and said nothing until he and his wife stayed with us for 10 weeks in the mission field. They got on like a house on fire. And near the end he says, such and such had said to me this, that and the other and I found it all to be false and lies. Even though he was praying for a night, I didn't know. And I learned a lot from that man because he said, I wanted to find out for myself. I wouldn't take it on board. Brothers and sisters, go find it out for yourself. Go find it out for yourself. We can mark things and we can mark people already. We have people damaged and already we have people in a certain way and already people are, are, you know, you're ready for that fight and that argument and that fallout. Go see yourself, put it right. Go find out for yourself. I learned a lot when he, he says, I wanted to find out for myself, not take on board the gossip of it. Here, these had got Paul, and they says, what did we tell you about this man? So Festus comes along, and, and Festus is then, I said, he's two years later, he comes along to hear the apostle as well. Then, and then after this, they bring him to, Festus brings him to King Agrippa II, where we had a reading in Acts chapter 26. And in Acts chapter 26, notice this. Verse 1 says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. And Paul searched, stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. So Paul gets to say his own part, his own, from his own side. And he starts to speak to them about, look, I grew up in the Jews' religion. I grew up as a Pharisee. You hear him speaking, he says, look, listen to me. There's nothing that I'm saying that you don't believe. But one thing really counts in the middle of it all is the resurrection of Jesus. And if you miss Christ, you've missed everything. If you miss the power of his resurrection, you know, there's churches now who won't preach the power of the resurrection because it seems too, uh, too much like a fairy tale or a story. And, and Paul is saying, look, if you miss the resurrection and the power of the resurrection, you're going to miss everything in this walk with Christ. The resurrection isn't us walking behind a wooden cross on a good Friday. And I've done it, by the way. So I'm not saying, I have done it. But that's not the resurrection. It may mark a day when Christ goes to a grave and it may mark a day of a weekend of things. But listen, that's not the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection is the living Christ in the church. The power of the resurrection is salvation of souls. The power of the resurrection is that you're justified before the Father. The power of the resurrection is the, the moving of the Holy Spirit. 
The power of the resurrection is the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in the life of those who believe in Christ. It's a changed life. That's the power of the resurrection. And if there's no changed life, you've missed the power of the resurrection. The love of the Word of God is the power of the resurrection. The study of the Word of God shows the power of the resurrection. And how does it? Because he was resurrected. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven that we might receive the Holy Ghost. And those who have not the Holy Ghost know not the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. Paul was saying, listen, and even as it was said this morning, you're cutting lamb's throats. You're going through the ceremony. You're doing all the things you think is right and you're going to the the temple or to church. You're doing all those things. But one thing that you're missing, which counts, and it's the only thing, is the resurrected Christ. The one you crucified, he says. He's risen from the dead. He's alive. And he's risen from the dead. Notice what he says here. It's all right, run down to our reading again. Verse 7, but he says, Unto which promise are twelve tribes instantly serving God, day and night hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of. In other words, the power of the resurrection shows us because he lives, we shall live also. That we will live in the sight of God. And it shows that because he lives, we'll live also. We'll not only live in the sight of God, He says, but we will be serving God, as it were, night and day. We will be serving God forever and ever. We will be in the kingdom of him. He says, and unto that, he says, we are looking for it. He says, but it has come, and it's found in Christ. It's found in him. He says, you're missing it. You're missing it. Am I speaking... To someone and you're missing it. It's all church. Can I tell you something? I hate church. I mean that with all my heart. I hate it with a passion. I love Christ. I love us as the church gathering together. But I hate all this facade stuff. The church is a living organism body of Christ. Notice this. He goes on to verse 8. He says, Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? So he starts here again with a question. Can I ask you something? In a modern world where everything has to be scientifically tried, tested, and what they claim proven. In a place where, in churchianity, where it has to be, well, now modernism has come in that Jesus didn't walk upon the water, but paddled in the shallows. Where there is no virgin birth, but yet she was just a young lady, meaning a virgin. Where Christ is not God wrapped in flesh, but now is a man infused with the Spirit. That's what your church, the churches are preaching today. 
and is to try and accommodate those who do not believe. This Bible says Jesus walked on the water. This Bible tells me that he was born of a virgin. I know not the man, she says. And this Bible tells me that Christ rose from the dead. He didn't swoon on the cross. He didn't faint on the cross. He was dead. But he rose again in great victory and power. Now, do we really believe that or do we go along with all those others who say something different to try and pacify the world, to try and pacify those who say otherwise and to stop us making ourselves look so foolish? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that Bible? Do you really believe that a great fish swallowed Jonah? Yes, I do. I do. And the old saying is, and if a Bible told me that Jonah swallowed a great fish, well, I'd believe that too. And it's not gullible, it's believing in the impossible. The impossible from a God who can do all things. That's why the church is becoming so powerless. We have lost our, our, our wonder and our awe and our amazement at Christ. The church has become so powerless because, well, God doesn't do these things anymore. But yes, he does. Either he's the same or he is not. And if he's not the same, then you don't believe his word. And the church becomes helpless and powerless. And rather like a lion springing forth out of Judah, what do we become like? We become like a pussycat looking for a bowl of milk. No sincere meat of the word. That's what's wrong with us. We don't really believe what the Bible says. If you and I believe what the Bible says, listen, this is holiday time. I understand that and I know that. And people need their holidays and their break, and I need a holiday and a break, so I'm not saying anything against it. But can you imagine if everyone who realized and really truly believed that Christ rose from the dead and packed out the church on the day that he was meant to be raised from the dead, that we remember that and go out there instead of our holidays, we go out reaching the lost, praying for the sick, and going to the holiday resorts and saying, Christ loves you, I want to preach the gospel to you, I want to pray for you. How much difference would this church, how much difference would the body of Christ make to this nation? You know what's wrong? We don't believe the word. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Because if we did our lives, we'd be different. Why? Because of the power of the resurrection. Paul says, I know all the ways of this. I know the whole Jewish church way. He says, I'm preaching Christ. Jesus rose from the dead. I'm preaching Christ. Paul couldn't help himself. He had experienced the living Christ on the road to Damascus. Yes, the ascended Lord, the living Lord of glory. And he says, how can I deny this? I must preach the resurrection for the power of the resurrection is the Holy Ghost and the power of the resurrection or the power of the resurrection Lord Jesus Christ Paul tells us abides in you church lives in you the same power which raised Jesus from the dead is in every blood washed believer so how if it raised Jesus from the dead can it not raise us from our bed 
How if it raises Jesus from the dead, can it not raise you and I up to serve him, to love him with passion in our hearts? Where's the life of Christ in us? Jesus is alive. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Listen, I sing that. I love that hymn. Because he lives, I can overcome all things. And so can you. That's the problem. Because he lives, I'm struggling through. No, because he lives, you have the power of the resurrection in you. Because he lives, we shall live also in this life and the one to come. The defeated church is not the church of Christ. The church of God in Christ is not to be a defeated church, but one of power of the resurrection of Christ. So Paul asked him a question. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? See the word incredible here? It's a word, apistos. And it means, it gives the idea of faithless, unbelieving, distrustful, or unfaithful. Let me give you it again. Incredible here means faithless, unbelieving, distrustful, unfaithful. He stands before Agrippa and he says, Agrippa, why is it, he says, that you find it and it's so unfaithful in you, so unbelieving in you, so distrusting to you, so you're so unfaithful to the word that you find it too incredible for you to believe in the risen Savior and that he would raise the dead. Listen to what he says. And let your eyes just run down. To verse 20, Acts 26, and verse 23. In fact, 22, sorry, pardon me. Having therefore obtained help of God, he says, I continued unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come that Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the Gentiles, unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. In other words, Paul, you're nuts. But he says, I am not mad, noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For, for the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. And King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Felix says, when I have a, a more convenient time, I'll hear you. Festus now says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. So, Paul's passion was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, knowing the power of that same resurrection. This word here for incredible, it should be an incredible thing that God should raise the dead. Let me give you a couple of examples. John 20 and verse 27. The resurrected Lord Jesus 
shows himself to his disciples, and then they uh, tell Thomas who wasn't there, Thomas won't believe, and of course Christ comes to show himself again unto him. John 20 and verse 27, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing, or be not apistos. It's the same word used for such an incredible thing. It means, Thomas, don't be faithless. Don't be unbelieving. Stop being distrustful. Stop being unfaithful to me. Don't be unfaithful, but believing. The word believing is pistos, apistos, and now pistos. It means believe in your heart. Take it within you. Believe it in your heart. Brother, sister, listen to the word of God this morning. Whatever you're facing, whatever your giant, whatever your Goliath, whatever your hurt, whatever your trouble, whatever your circumstance, whatever you're going through, whatever comes your way, whatever stands before you, whatever it is, he says, listen, don't be unfaithful in believing in the power of my resurrection. be believing. Take it in your heart. Take it within you this morning that whenever you leave this place or wherever you go today or wherever you go tomorrow and you go and you have your break that you so badly need and desire, listen, and I'll do the same. Whatever we face, he says, take my resurrection power on board and believe me for bigger things. Believe me for greater things. Who can raise the dead? Who can raise the dead? Our God can raise the dead. Christ is risen indeed. Why seek ye the living among the dead, said the two men in white, the angels at the the tomb. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Behold, he is not here. He is risen, was the words they said. In fact, if you read it in the Greek, it says, why seek ye the living one? For when all others in their humanity and their mortality would go to the grave, Christ rose again. He's the living one. He's the living one. You know, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22, this is when Paul speaks of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's mentioning the gift of tongues here. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22. Wherefore tongues are for a sign... Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Wow. Wow. The word believe not, apistos, those who are unfaithful in the word. Those who are unbelieving of the word. What about the resurrection power of Christ, the Holy Ghost in us? Those who are distrustful. Paul says, these aren't for a sign. This is now a tongue, an interpretation of a tongue. He says, that's not for a sign for believers, because it's believers who speak it. Well, some believers do. He says, this is for the unbeliever to look at it and see it as an incredible thing that God himself would speak to an assembly through the Spirit. 
Because of the resurrected power of Christ. Let me show you another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You can read verses 14 and 15, but we'll just do 14 for time's sake. Listen to what Paul says. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Two oxen pull him with the one yoke. One oxen is untrained, and the other oxen is. One's plowing in a straight furrow. The other oxen is lagging off. He doesn't know the pull, and he tires this one down. He wants to go that way, so the other one's pulled to the side and there's a bit of a struggle goes on, it tires it out and so the oxen who does want to pull in a straight line, he can't really pull in a straight line, in fact he might pull in a a higgledy-piggledy zigzag line or something but he'll end up getting tired because he ends up trailing his mate with him and Paul says, Christian be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers abistos those who are unfaithful Those who are unbelieving. Do you know this term is also used in the book of Revelation at the lake of fire? Revelation 21 and 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth, lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. We'll maybe look at that more tonight if we have enough time. The lake of fire. And yet those who are uh, in this category are among the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers. Do you know what the word sorcerers is? It comes from the word pharmakia. Those who are drug dealers. Those who take drugs. Those who are enhanced with drugs. That's the idea. They're saucers, those who mix potions. That's where pharmacy comes from, by the way. Now, the old time I need a paracetamol. That's not what we're speaking of. We're speaking of here of those who are actively involved and taking drugs and selling them. Dating with them. Dancing with them. There's a lake of fire. Acts chapter 26, Paul addressing Agrippa. Listen to what he says. Verse 3. I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. He says, Agrippa, I know you you know the law. By this time, Talmudism had come in also, but nevertheless, a tradition of men were there, and Christ denounced all of this. But he says, I know that you know the, the Old Testament, and I know you've sat in debates, and I know that you, you would argue uh, how many furries does it work who dance in the head of a pin. Not that he said that, now you don't send us a figure of speech. But what he's saying, I know it, because that's the mindset you have. He says, so what I'm telling you, he says, you know what I'm saying. That's why he says in verse 27, 28, Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Why is it such a great thing, that, uh, an, uh, an unimaginable thing that God should raise the dead, Agrippa? Because after all, remember Elijah? He raised the young man. Remember Elisha did the same? Remember the young man fell upon his bones and was raised from the dead? He says, do you remember the same God who did that? 
Do you remember when you're reading Ezekiel 37 and, and figuratively speaking, and, and maybe even spiritually speaking, gives the idea of a resurrection of dry bones? What's the big deal here that you should believe in it? Look, Agrippa. Look, Agrippa, it's not you that's doing it. And Agrippa, it's not me who can do it. But I'm preaching the one who does and can. So what about your life this morning? It's not you that can do things and change things. And it's not me. But we're preaching the one who does and who can. The resurrected Christ. So the resurrection, it may be mentioned in churches around this time of year, but it's never preached because people have uh, a responsibility to deal with it then. If you and I really, truly, fully, wholly understand and believe of the resurrection of Christ, you and I would be different even sitting on our seats this morning. Now that's the truth. Me too. You and I would be different if we really, truly, fully, wholeheartedly believed in the resurrection of Christ. We would be different in our lives. We'd be different in our thinking. I wonder how much we really believe. So I'm closing. Those who claim to know the scriptures, yet who deny the resurrection of the dead, also the bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and I put this to you. If there's no resurrection, if Christ is not himself presently, permanently, risen from the dead bodily, out of the grave or the tomb, then why would so many of his apostles the apostles of the Lamb, the apostles of the risen, ascended Lord, like Paul, why would many of the early church be so adamant and fervent and passionate and sold out, even going through persecution and unto death, if Christ wasn't alive? Would you do it? Listen to Acts chapter 122. And beginning at the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, one must be ordained to be a witness with us of the resurrection. The apostles there, they've lost now. Judas, who, who has betrayed our Lord, and now he's dead. They say, we, we need to fill the 12th space. But we need someone, listen, who's been with us? Now, hold on a minute. Something about like 13 was with you. The idea here is there were, the initial, there were 12, then there was three, Peter, James, and John, which the Lord really confided in. And outside the 12, there were all their followers. And so Matthias received a lot after they prayed and chosen lots. And listen, he's believed to be one of the 70 that was sent forth, casting out demons and healing the sick. He's meant to be one of the 70 that did that. But notice, the preaching was from, from the baptism of John, that is, John baptizing the Savior. Unto the same day that they stood there, after the ascension of Christ into heaven, that was taken up from us, one must be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. What were you preaching? The power of his resurrection. How did the world change? Through the power of his resurrection. 
What was Paul's desire? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of it. Acts 4 and 31 to 33. Listen to verse 33. And with great power give the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. Why did they need great grace? Maga grace. You know, things maga, as big as maga. Wow, that's maga. Grace, but grace is grace. But here the Lord really poured out on them. Why? Because of the opposition they received. Because of people unbelieving. Because of the, the demons and the hordes of hell against them. That's why people coming to kill them and to do all manner with them. And so great grace was poured upon them. God gave them, as it were, a, a special grace. To be able to preach the power of the resurrection. That's why Paul says of how the Lord Jesus went before and conquered death. First Corinthians 15 and 26. That the last enemy shall be destroyed is death. But notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 15 then in verse 30. Now, if this isn't real, if this isn't right, if this Christ isn't raised from the dead, if I'm telling you lies or I'm fooled, he says, listen, if this isn't right, notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 30, he says, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Do you think I'm going to preach with passion a living Christ? Do you think I'm going to preach with passion to you whenever you're going to cut off my head? when you're wanting to whip me several times uh, with 30 lashes, 39 lashes, you're going to think that I'm going to continue on being shipwrecked a night and a day in the deep, stoned and left for dead? He says, I'm in jeopardy every hour. Now, if Christ isn't living, he says, why am I doing this? Why do I believe in the power of the resurrection. He says, because the one whom raised Jesus from the dead, whom is Jesus himself, spoke to me and he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He says, I have seen him in his glory. So if I did not believe in the power of the resurrection, he says, what am I doing here? Why would I do that? Thank you for your attention. I'll finish with us. Not only did Christ mention his resurrection many times, not only are we sure of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're sure of our resurrection too. I just want to take a quote from a couple of Puritans, and that's me finished. Thomas Watson said once, we are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. That's how sure we are of Christ and his power and his resurrection. Listen to this one. Thomas Watson for the last. Oh, how precious is the dust of a believer. Though the world mind it not, yet it is precious to God. The husbandman has some corn in his barn, 
and he has other corn in the ground. The corn that is in the ground is as precious to him as that which is in the barn. Should Christ tarry and we go to the ground, he still has corn in the barn. You and I are the corn in the barn at the minute. We're living, we're alive in Christ. He's gathered us into his barn. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He said, Lord, you're going to be sifted in all the rubbish that we go through in life, but it's gather you in as pure corn into his barn. But should Christ tarry and we go to the ground, you can be assured even more whether it's the next day or a thousand years that he decides to tarry, which I don't believe it says that in the word. But whatever it is, you can be assured of this. You're more assured to rise from the ground than you are to get out of your bed tomorrow. And he never forgets the corn which has been planted in the ground. The resurrected power of Christ and the life will change it to glorify the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. God bless his word this morning to all of our hearts. So, if you're going somewhere today, the Lord bless you. I wasn't saying about holidays because we should take, we all need holidays. I need their help us. I want to take a few weeks, never mind a few days. We all need it.